0: The only one that remembers the Beatles. Hello, I'm Guy Garvey. Richard Curtis and Danny Boyle have joined forces for Yesterday. We got them together to talk filmmaking. I always saw Trade just as the Northern Four Weddings. Music. These songs were part of us. And a world without the Beatles. A world without the Beatles would be infinitely worse. The Yesterday podcast, available from wherever you get your podcast.
1: Yesterday. When did you write that?
0: I didn't write it. Paul McCartney wrote it. The Beatles. Who? This episode of the Slash Filmcast is brought to you by RxBar. For 25% off your first order, visit rxbar.com slash filmcast and use the promo code filmcast at checkout. That's rxbar.com slash filmcast and promo code filmcast for 25% off. This episode is also brought to you by Sonos. For the first time ever, Sonos is offering the listeners of the Slash Filmcast... 10% off one order of $2,500 or less for any product on Sonos.com. This offer is available for a limited time only and cannot be combined with any other discounts or promotions. The promo code is Filmcast10, that's capital F I L M C A S T 10 at Sonos.com for 10% off any order of $2,500 or less.
2: Hey everyone, David Chen here. Just wanted to let you know before this podcast gets off the ground that during the course of this episode, we discussed Colin Trevorrow leaving Star Wars Episode 9. But between the podcast recording and when it was released, it was announced that J.J. Abrams is directing Star Wars Episode 9. Uh, so just wanted to give you that note up top uh, so that you have that in mind before we talk about Star Wars Episode 9, like we have no idea what's actually going on with that movie. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen, and with me are...
0: Vindra Harnawar. And Jeff Kanata.
2: Welcome to the show, everyone. What we are going to do here on this podcast today is talk about what we've been watching, move on into a couple film news items, and then conclude with an in-depth review. This week, we'll be reviewing the new rendition of Stephen King's It, which is out in theaters right now. This one's directed by Andy Muschieri, and... It is a box office juggernaut, guys. I think people were predicting it would be $75, $80 million, which is already a lot. It actually made, I think, $117 million, right? Jeez. Um, which is yeah. incredible. 100, $123 million. $123 million opening. This is actually just revised recently. Take uh, that, Dark Tower. Seriously. <laughs> uh, that, it has made more money in three days in the United States than Dark Tower made worldwide <laughs> since its release. That's sad panda. Um, so, yeah, sad a, panda. Sad panda for Dark Tower. Uh, but $123 million. This is Andy Muschietti's second film. And it cost, I think, $35, $40 million production budget with no major stars in it. Incredible accomplishment. Uh, so, looking forward to diving into it with you guys.
0: Can't wait for all of the uh, clown knockoff movies that will yeah, be coming. I know. Clown <laughs> cinematic universes that will be starting.
2: Indeed, indeed. Um, balloon before- movies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, every conceivable permutation of elements in this movie, I'm Revenge sure. Revenge
0: we'll of the Red
1: Balloon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, that was indeed. a critic joke, I think, yeah.
2: All right, guys. Um, find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at at gmail.com. Uh, before we get to any of the stuff for this week's show, I uh, want to mention a few follow-up items, as well as announce a new contest that we're doing this week. So in terms of follow-up, uh, last week we reviewed, or t- a couple weeks ago before our summer movie wager, we reviewed Logan Lucky. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of feedback about the relative suckiness of, uh, of that review of Logan Lucky, <laughs> um, with uh, a lot of people taking issue with mine and Jeff's assessment of the characters in that film – Uh, But I I wanted to read one email from Matt from Parkersburg, West Virginia. Uh, We got got a lot of emails about this review, and uh, Matt's email was one of the nicer ones, so I thought I'd read it. Matt writes in, "Um, First of all, I had no idea this film was partially set in southern West Virginia until the week of its debut as local news outlets were covering that aspect of the film. I was already looking forward to the movie, but after I found out this detail, I had to go see it. It is very rare to have a film set in the Appalachian region unless it's a creepy horror film, and I thought this would be a unique setting for a drama slash comedy. While I agree it's not a perfect film, I think this has the potential to be on my top 10 list for this year. I don't think this is a film for everybody, but I think Steven Soderbergh and Rebecca Blunt nailed the mentality of some West Virginia residents, particularly in the southern part of the state. There were so many little details within the West Virginia characters that I just sat there smiling, thinking, wow, it's sad, but I know somebody like that. For example, I thought the relationship between Jimmy, played by Channing Tatum, Bobby, uh, played by Holmes, and Moody, played by Denman, was filled with so many small moments that it made my viewing experience quite memorable. In addition to the characters, the sets were shockingly accurate. Between the county fair, the trailer home, and the small town salon, I was convinced that a a crappy West Virginia town that I used to know all too well was actually on screen. Interestingly, I watched this movie with my brother and sister-in-law and they also shared similar opinions. I think our background gave us a unique perspective on the film and made the viewing experience better. While there were some over-the-top and exaggerated aspects of the humor, as a West Virginia resident, I never felt offended. As ridiculous as it seems, people in the southern part of the state really do have those thick Appalachian accents. Again, I think the accent's a bit exaggerated, but I think a lot of this movie is exaggerated intentionally. I found it clever that despite sounding ignorant or stupid to some people, I believe the film goes out of its way to deliver the message that the characters are quite the opposite." End quote. Uh, he goes on for a while, but uh, you know, I, I thought I'd throw that out there. Jeff, y- uh, you got a lot of feedback about this review as well, and I uh, just wanted yeah. to hear if you had any any reaction. Did any of these emails sway you into changing your opinion on the film?
0: Well, I'm certainly pleased that, especially people from that region, um, didn't take any offense to any of it and and found it to be accurate. Uh, for me, it was always. Uh, wondering whether it was laughing with or laughing at. Right. And I, I came away feeling a bit like it was laughing at rather than laughing with, but it sounds like the people who actually live that reality every day felt like it was laughing with. So far be it for me to, 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 you know, disagree. I don't think, I think that, you know, as I said during that review, I think the movie's fun. I, I really had a good time with the heist. I don't think the movie is very good, but I think it's fun. And, uh, I, you know, hasn't changed that opinion, but I, I do. I'm pleased to hear so many people that actually uh, live in those regions um, felt like it was accurate and authentic and uh, not mean spirited. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for all the
2: emails you sent in about uh, Logan Lucky. Really appreciate you guys uh, engaging with the podcast with a lot of passion. Uh, and you can always write into us at slash at gmail.com. Another thing I wanted to follow up on was uh, we talked a couple weeks ago somewhat humorously about why AMC was super pissed at MoviePass. MoviePass is the all-you-can-eat movie subscription service for $10 per month. And there was a lot of questions about why is AMC being such a dick about this given that uh, theoretically MoviePass cutting prices to such a low rate would actually be good for AMC. People go in, they see movies for cheap, but… Uh, AMC keeps all the money from you know, the, the full movie ticket price plus uh, the increased concession dollars that they would be getting.
0: It's the old uh, Mo Movies, Mo Popcorn philosophy. That's right.
2: Turns out uh, that according to several sources that contacted us in the, in the last couple weeks, one of the reasons that AMC is so upset is because they are planning on launching their own all you can eat subscription service sometime in the near future and what? what are the chances of that being ten dollars a month guys <laughs> i feel like it's pretty low jeff i feel like <laughs> the chances are pretty low uh so we will see what happens but I, I don't know do you guys have any guess as to what amount of money it will be per month
1: i would say 20 to yeah. 30 i, I think mean, 20 isn't 30. There, it
2: feels right yeah feel there's like
0: Stubbs 20 thing, 29.99 is, is yeah. a pretty safe bet
1: isn't there yeah. Stubbs thing like 30 35 bucks a year or something like i think that's the price range they really like to play around with
2: yeah. yeah, and I mean a ticket now is like twelve dollars, right? A stubs is fifteen dollars <laughs> per year, but yeah, a, a ticket t- depending where, but yeah, yeah, a ticket can, yeah, you're right. In New York, it's probably a ticket
1: for now. me. Every ticket is like sixteen dollars. <laughs> oh guys. yeah,
0: eighteen,
2: sixteen, eighteen oh. in yeah. L.A. for sure. Yeah, uh, so it needs to be something where you're not already paying for it, it like you're you're not paying for the service after you see one movie. You know what I mean? Like with Movie Pass, yeah. you you get Movie Pass for ten dollars a month. You see one movie, it's already paid for itself, right? I'm guessing it's not gonna be that generous. So I think you're right. Twenty or thirty dollars, probably thirty dollars per month. Uh and we'll see if it happens, and if it happens what the uh what the price is gonna be. Uh but thanks for the tips. And again, you can always email us or tip us at slash at So uh finally, wanted to mention the big sick. Guys, the big sick, one of the big indie movie success stories of the year. Uh not only was it a very well regarded, well-reviewed movie. But it also did very well for like a low-budget romantic comedy, right? $41 Mm -hmm. million in the United States. And we all loved it. Yeah, we all loved it. I'm pretty sure $41 million is way higher than its production budget was. And now you have the opportunity to win a Blu-ray copy of The Big Sick. Now, The Big Sick is already on digital HD, but the Blu-ray doesn't come out until September 19th. Um, Both obviously great ways to watch the movie. Um, but we have three Blu-ray copies that we're sending out to slash Filmcast listeners. And if you want to enter for a chance to win uh, one of these three Blu-ray copies of The Big Sick, uh, and then again, the movie is coming out on Blu-ray on September 19th, all you got to do is email slash filmcast at gmail.com with the subject line Big Sick Contest. And uh, write to us, you know, guys, Big Sick is about... Uh, a romantic relationship that has uh, something really challenging and difficult occur during it. Perhaps something referred to in the title of the movie. And I'll just leave <laughs> it at big. that. Something big. Something big. Perhaps it has to do with uh, sickness and the as well. Um, <laughs> but uh, write to us to slash slashfilmcast.gmail.com about your worst movie experience that involved a significant other or a date. <laughs> uh, slash filmcast at gmail.com get those entries into us by 11.59pm pacific time on Friday September 15th again subject line big sick contest slash filmcast at gmail.com 11.59pm pacific on Friday September 15th and write to us about uh, your most challenging or difficult experience watching a movie with a significant other or a date looking forward to Can reading I, uh, those
0: entries yes Jeff <laughs> I tell you, my favorite tweet I follow Camille Nanjiani on, on Twitter, as everybody should. He's funny and brilliant. He's very good but, at Twitter. Uh,
2: very good at Twitter. Yes,
0: very good at Twitter. And doesn't tweet very often, which is kind of appreciated sometimes, said the guy who tweets way too much. Um, <laughs> but my favorite tweet that he wrote about his movie was, uh, he said, trying to come up with a porn title for my film, but haven't gotten any ideas. Mm,
2: nice. That's
0: it, pretty brilliant. It's, I it's tough.
2: It's pretty it really good. is tough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, again, slash Big Sick contest in the subject line. Uh, and we have three copies to give away of the Big Sick, which is coming out on Blu-ray on September 19th. Okay. Those are all the follow-up items and uh, big announcements for this week. Let's move on to what we've been watching this week, gentlemen. I want to mention a few things. First of all, guys, I had a chance to go to Los Angeles this weekend. I was in Los Angeles while Jeff was in Seattle for PAX.
0: It was uh, like that movie Freaky Friday, except without any body swapping.
2: That's right. We we're like two that's ships passing in the night. It was uh, very disappointing. I didn't get to hang out with Jeff, but I uh, wow. did get to see a bunch of cool people, get to hang out, hang out with a bunch of cool people, and uh, also do some interesting things. For instance, I went to the Magic Castle with Peter Stretta and Stephen Tobolowski. That was fun. Uh-huh. You, guys, you guys know have the Magic Castle Have Castles? you been there
0: before? Yeah. Uh, it
2: was my first time. Oh,
0: wonderful. That's great.
2: Uh, I went there with uh, Stephen Tobolowsky and and Peter and uh, my fiancé, and uh, we were having drinks by the bar with Peter. And then my fiancé says to me, um, hey, David, Jack Black is behind you. (laughs) And I turned around, (laughs) and Jack Black was right there. Apparently, Seth Rogen was there the week before. I think uh, a lot of – Dave,
0: Dave. Yeah. That happens in in L.A. all the time, man. Uh, You're just describing a Tuesday in Los Angeles. Apparently,
2: apparently, I think I think celebrities probably appreciate Magic Castle because uh, they don't need to. Like, photography is strictly prohibited in Magic Castle, so maybe people harass them less. Uh, But anyway, yeah, a lot of celebrities in Magic Castle. And for those who don't know what Magic Castle is, it's a decades-old institution in Los Angeles where the world's best magicians gather, share magic uh, information with each other, and do magic tricks and put on magic shows. It's a delight. And Peter Thereto recently uh, became a member, a magician member of the institution, uh, and was very generous to bring us there. Uh, You can read his essay about that at SlashFilm.com. It is a delight. Nice. It so is.
1: It was really, also really featured lovely. in the Netflix series Love at one point too. So, yeah. oh, and Mexican. it's a it's a
0: it's yeah. a place that you can't just go to. You have to be invited, uh, which is pretty cool. And there's a dress code and, like you said, very strict rules. It's a it's a club. It's not mm-hmm. a, yeah. it's not an open uh, place. But you can get food there and there's lots of performances and a real amazing place. It's a there's rumors of it. Um, Departing the LA area, which is really scary, but um, it's it's got a lot of history and it's got a lot of amazing uh, features. Uh, there's a ghost that plays piano and a lot of. Oh, other cool that stuff. was
2: so crazy! Uh, right? Th- th- basically, you go to this piano. It's uh, it-, it looks like a player piano, right? It looks like, a, or not? It doesn't look like a player piano, but my guess was it was a player piano, and it's just uh, a ghost named Irma plays the piano. And uh, Peter said, hey, just go up to the ghost Irma and request anything, and Irma will play it no matter how obscure it is. How'd uh, they do that? And I go up to uh, this – yeah, so the, this piano, like imagine like this grand piano playing on its own. I walk up to this empty chair and I say, Irma, play me the soundtrack to Jurassic Park. And Irma like literally within seconds starts playing the soundtrack for Jurassic Park.
0: Instantly. It's not even within seconds. It's yeah. instantly. It's not. It's not the kind of thing – and you can – Ask for the most obscure, crazy yes. music, and it doesn't matter. Or you can try to have a conversation with Irma, and Irma will attempt to talk to you with with little music jingles, like, um, you know, how's the weather outside? And then she'll be like, singing in the rain or whatever. You know, yeah, it's like yeah, she'll yeah. have a conversation using, you know, like Bumblebee does in the Transformers right. movies. Right. Kind of Except like that. through
2: piano, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it, that, it was delight. The There's lots of little hidden nooks and crannies throughout the whole place Uh, very cool place really appreciate having the chance to go there Uh, another thing I did in Los Angeles got to see John Williams conduct the music of John Williams at uh, the Hollywood Bowl Um, so that was amazing and I would recommend anyone do that if you have a chance Um, see John Williams while you have the chance uh but yeah, it was a really weird mix of music, to be honest with you. Um <laughs> there were some like really weird deep cuts like um he did the Mutt Williams uh theme song from Indiana Jones that, Four. That one everyone remembered. But he yeah. didn't yeah. but he People didn't were chanting Mutt, Mutt, <laughs> Mutt. He didn't do the Main Indiana Jones theme song. So it's like
0: why why would you do that? Um, He's not going to play Freebird every time. Well, he Dave. did do uh, he did do Sometimes Star you have to do the new stuff on yeah, the new sometimes album. you got to do the new stuff.
2: He did do uh, the Star Wars theme song, he did do Superman, he did do E.T. So it was a it was a nice, nice combo of like some of the newer stuff and and uh, the classics. Um but apparently he, he performs there relatively frequently and, and provides a nice mix of of new stuff and classics pretty regularly. So uh and finally I wanted to mention I had the chance to see Hamilton, the musical. Oh nice. Uh at yeah. the Pantages Theater. And this is the musical uh written by Linda manuel Miranda. Uh Devendra, I know you've seen it. How many times have you seen it, Davindra? I've seen it
1: once. I mean, uh- <laughs> it cost me a lot of money to see it once. So that's not something you can
2: easily see more than once. But I would I would love to see it again. Jeff Kanata, you have you seen it yet?
0: Not yet. No, I am I, eagerly anticipating it. You should definitely take the, the
2: opportunity to go see it. Now, I will say a few things about Hamilton. First of all, um, if you have the chance to go see it and, and the disposable income to go see it, you should see it. It, it is an incredible, extraordinary experience. Mm-hmm. And Unexpectedly moving. Like I I went in and thinking to myself, "Oh, this is this will be an interesting little little uh, musical experiment." You know, you will be
1: crying by the end of that show.
2: I think what is what was incredibly moving. You know, the the show uh, came out years ago, right? I mean, before uh, the Trump administration took power Mm -hmm. or anything. So, but in the current political climate, seeing uh, a bunch. So, I mean, for those who don't know what Hamilton is, it's a retelling of the story of Alexander Hamilton. Um, But there's people of color playing all the roles, um, you know, which are typically played by white people. And uh, seeing people of color basically fighting for, upholding, dying for the founding principles of this country takes on a special resonance in today's day and age. Mm -hmm. And uh, it just, you know, there's a line in like Alexander Hamilton is an immigrant. That's a big part of his story. Uh, and a big part of why Lin-Manuel Miranda decided to write the musical is because, like, it's so interesting, this guy who you think is, you know, one of the founding fathers or whatever, he is an immigrant. And uh, there's a line in the musical that's like, immigrants uh, get it done. and We get the job done. Yeah, get the job done. And, you know, it, it prompted applause through, that, through the whole audience. Like, you could really feel the historical significance of uh, not only what was happening in the events in the musical, but also like how those events fit in with what's happening today. So uh, Mm -hmm. it had a very special resonance. I was very moved by it. Strongly recommend. Uh, Definitely go check it out. And if you're you're in L.A., you really need to make the time to go see it, Jeff Kanata.
0: Can I? Yes. Feel free to not answer this if you don't want to. Can I ask you how much you paid?
2: Yes. I'm Actually, I was going to talk about that. Um, Uh Uh-huh. So the uh, Hamilton is going to be in uh LA until like end of I want to say December. I think it's going to be there through the end of the year. It's all there's also another it's still going on in New York, right, Davindra? Yeah. And uh I think there's a Chicago show. I th- I think you know there's one other performing trip. Yep. Um yep. but uh the tickets were I think like $300, you can, if you got, get like, if you got like season passes, you could get them for like 180 to $220 or so. Like if you got season passes to the bandages, um, I will tell you this is Hamilton is going to be in Seattle for about five to six weeks in 2018. And the minimum ticket price for that show is $600 right now. God, um, it, it, and that's for like an incredibly crappy seat. So like you will probably end up paying seven or $800 if you want to see it in Seattle uh, at that price, it is not necessarily cheaper, but you probably get more out of it. Just flying to L.A. and seeing it and like making a weekend out of it, which probably is what get we, more out of it, which is what I know did, they also
1: yeah. recorded a full like with the full cast, the original cast. They did a recording of that. They're probably going to release that at some point, too. So, yeah, you know, this is it is it was one of the greatest uh, theater experiences I've ever had in my life. I didn't know if I'd pay yeah six to eight hundred dollars
2: a ticket for that.
1: Well, but I, I definitely I would, paid in total for two tickets around that.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah. I was so I was going to give a mini slash film court about this, which is yeah, I, I mean, three hundred dollars is probably the most I'm willing to pay for any yeah. concert going yeah. or theatrical experience. That's already very a lot. Yeah, uh, but and then you get it by two. Usually. Right. I can't imagine paying like eight hundred dollars for or seven hundred dollars for like a one time theater going experience. Mm-hmm. Um I'll also say this it's incredibly stressful to go see a show that's three hundred dollars. I know it's like a, oh, yeah a champagne yeah. problem or whatever, but it's like uh we had a kid, it, like there's so much pressure to enjoy every <laughs> single minute of it. And there was a child uh about, you know, a couple rows in front of us and like, you know, eight seats to the right. He was, it was a he or she, but they were basically talking in full voice throughout the entire film. Uh. I'm sorry, throughout the entire musical, being like, who's that, mommy? Like, oh, is that the person from earlier? You know, like um, being incredibly annoying. And uh, I I, I, honestly, if I was sitting closer, it wasn't close enough to really bother me. But if I had been sitting, you know, in front of that kid, I would have probably freaked out because, uh, I mean, you know, I would have paid like three hundred dollars for these tickets, and this freaking child is is ruining the experience for me. Uh, yeah. That said, Hamilton is a pretty complex musical. Like, it's not something that I feel kids could easily grasp. So I understand uh, why a child would be confused and feel the need to ask questions. But uh, still, you know, it, 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 anyway, I'm just saying it's awesome that uh, I'm blessed and and very fortunate to have uh, had the chance to go. But I definitely don't feel like I could spend seven hundred dollars on a one night show and truly enjoy it because there's so much mm-hmm. pressure to <laughs> enjoy it. Do you know?
1: And if there aren't other tickets through like SeatGeek and those other services, that's that's kind of how I got it. That's New how York. yeah, that's and, how we got it. Yeah. SeatGeek,
2: SeatGeek yeah. is how we got it. So that's what what I would suggest. And you can you can end up getting tickets for not not that much, but mm-hmm. it is kind of also uh, sad that this for now it remains an experience that. Uh, is only accessible to people willing to drop a couple hundred dollars on a ticket. Yeah, like,
1: that, that I, has been the like paradox of the show for so long because it is clearly like a show meant to show more representation in the theater. That's why in New York they're doing like a big lottery thing and they give away a bunch of tickets for real cheap.
2: Yeah, you know, I think like ten bucks. Yeah, I've heard about this uh, lottery. So mm-hmm. anyway, uh, just wanted to mention Hamilton as like this incredible experience and something you should definitely check out if you're in L. A. Uh, in Seattle, less sure that you should pay that money to, to go see it. <laughs> um, I'll be curious to see how insane those ticket prices get next year. Uh, all right. I, I have other things to talk about, but we're, I'm already way over time. So, Davinder, why don't we talk about what you've been watching this week?
1: Sure. Um, I saw Terminator 2 in 3D for some reason. Uh, mainly because <laughs> for, some reason. for some reason i i have never seen Terminator 2 in the theater so i was like eh, this is a good opportunity i saw it at the alamo here in brooklyn a great theater um yeah the movie is still great it is a perfect film in so many ways uh the 3d which was produced by studio canal um i think they also did the restoration too or i, I i'm not quite sure how all that worked out yeah the the 3d just wasn't that great and this kind of is the problem we're seeing with a lot of these like 3D remasters of older films. Uh, we had Jurassic Park a couple years ago, and I think that one actually had more pronounced 3D and maybe just a better remaster. This one, there just really wasn't that much, and in times when it did appear, it was kind of distracting because I have just seen this movie so many times, I kind of know exactly how every scene is blocked, and when things start appearing in my foreground vision, when you know they're not supposed to, it starts to feel weird um so yeah there's that uh the the restoration looks good overall at least the 2d parts but i wrote a piece at engadget uh, go check that out about like 3d remasters and these sorts of movies you know these older movies are not made for 3d in the way that more modern films are at least in terms of the way they're shot and framed and cut uh it just feels like a big waste of money but it is nice to see these movies on the big screen again i just hope we you know we, we don't need as many in 3d
2: yeah, I mean, Terminator, I, I think I've talked about this a few times on the Slash Filmcast before, Terminator mm-hmm. 2 was one of the first movies I ever saw uh, rated R, you know, in theaters, and it blew my my mind when I saw it, <laughs> you know. I think the other movie I would have seen was like Child's Play 2, that was, that was the other R-rated movie. I How did theater. you
1: see that in the theater?
2: Uh, one of my parents' friends like took me to go see it when I was like Really, Very really irresponsible friend. Yeah, yeah. indeed. It, it sucks that we need it to be a 3D upconversion mm-hmm. to see a re-release. You know, my guess is like they did the math and they they said, hey, we can charge more for 3D tickets. That'll make it worth it to release it in theaters. But as you point out, Devendra, we really don't need uh, to see it in 3D to for that magic to still be there. And so it is a bummer that that's the only way you can see Terminator 2 in theaters right now. But still, it's cool that uh, at least they remastered it. Um, it
1: does kind of hurt the picture quality too. Like the, you know, three D is a darker presentation because you're right. wearing the glasses. You're having you're
2: having the amount of light right yep. that you're getting. Yeah,
1: it's so. a little blurrier too. Like if you turn your head the wrong way, you know, it's no longer a sharp image and things start to look a little weird. So, uh, so many downsides. Just just give me a nice bright remaster. That's all I want.
2: Speaking of things that are really dark, uh, Devinder, I think you saw Good Time recently, right? Oh, I did see Good
1: Time, yes. Yeah. So uh, I really enjoyed it, yeah. This is
2: a new Safety Brothers movie with Robert Pattinson, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, uh, I, I thought you'd appreciate it, given that you're a New Yorker. So yes, it's
1: it, it's a great—I love New York movies. I love movies where New York is like a character, guys. Um, <laughs> so there are so many of those. I think this one, you know, it's it does a lot of new and different things. I It does feel like a weirdly small story. And I think uh, you were pointing out, Dave, like it feels like a parable of the Trump age or something because it's kind of the racial
2: racial subtext I found to be mm -hmm. very effective. So the entire movie
1: is, you know, this white dude who thinks he's a genius or at least he's a better criminal than he is. And he basically thrusts himself forward through the plot through sheer like confidence <laughs> right in his own belief that things will work out right. and his ability to just like pull people of color into his right. web of madness Her- hurting and, and incriminating
2: hurt. and inconveniencing people yeah. of color throughout the whole movie um, it's pretty remarkable so
1: it's a great movie yeah, yeah. It, it is there's some shots there's some sequences that are really fantastic it did feel shorter and smaller than I thought it would be yeah it, it did yeah. feel like it just ended at it, a point yeah, where it did feel
2: like it ended very abruptly so yeah um, but I I, I would recommend seeing it. I think it's mm-hmm. and it's lit gorgeously. Uh, just some of the way they, some of the ways they light. It almost feels like n- completely natural lighting, mm-hmm. um, but I don't think it's quite completely natural lighting. It just looks uh, like a, a side of New York that you don't usually see. So that's yeah. a good time It's on theaters right now. What else have you been watching, Devendra?
1: A uh, bunch of things. Uh, I also picked up Brotherhood of the Wolf on Blu-ray, and uh, this is a movie I, I love. This movie, I remember you loving it with me, Dave, back in the day when it came out and there hasn't been a blu-ray for this thing for a while but i just noticed i think a couple months ago or last year uh a there's a korean blu-ray release that works on american players and you can actually buy it pretty easily i picked it up on amazon for like 12 or 13 bucks or something uh, it, it looks like it's hd it looks better than the dvd i had it's not like a pristine picture but it you know it looks great the soundtrack is great the movie is still a ton of fun the cg doesn't hold up very well, especially towards the later parts of the film with some of the monster. Uh, but it's, it's a gorgeous movie, and man, it just, it really makes me wish Mark Dacascos had a bigger career.
2: Mm. That's Brotherhood of the Wolf on Blu-ray. And mm-hmm. what else have you been watching, Devendra?
1: Also saw the first episode of The Deuce, the new David Simon series on HBO, and all I have to say, it's fantastic. It is very much in the David Simon wheelhouse. It's a story about like uh, people and the systems that they're a part of, and how the systems kind of Influence and control their lives. I think it's much more approachable than a show like Treme or even something like uh what was it, Semi Hero? The one from a couple years ago with Oscar Isaac. Um Treme, show, me, show Me a Hero. Show me, show me a hero. Show yeah. me a hero. Uh, yeah. uh which was about, yeah, the public housing situation, I believe. And it's you know, Treme is a great series, but it takes a while to get into it and for all those storylines to gel. I'm really digging The Deuce so far. Like it's It feels much more akin to The Wire. Um, all the actors are fantastic. Maggie Gyllenhaal is here. It's a show that's really about kind of the sex trade in the New York during the 70s, um, both in terms of prostitution and also adult films. Uh, but it uses that to also explore like... I don't know, the notions of capitalism in America, as David Simon does. So, yeah, it's fantastic. There's a lot going on, but definitely worth watching.
0: Cool. I mm-hmm. was planning to watch this last night when it debuted and uh, turned it on on my old uh, HBO Go and then saw that the first episode is an hour and a half. And it's, I was like, oh, It's movie length, yeah. I can't. You can do an hour and a half season finale. That's fine. <laughs> but your first episode... Don't intimidate me with the right time. I,
1: they they uh. kind of need it, right? Because after that thing was over, it actually felt really short to me just because I was immediately into all these characters and all these storylines. Um, one thing worth mentioning, too, this show does some incredible jobs. of. It does an incredible job of recreating old New York. Like, CD, Times Square in the 70s. There are shots in this thing that look Insane like they were in a time machine or something and i'm sure it's a whole combination of like digital composites and whatnot uh but the overall effect like there are a lot of old cars or great costuming like it just feels really authentic and unlike vinyl which i think was also on hbo and also tried to go like rah rah 70s uh this show doesn't it doesn't just revel in it it is it just feels authentic in a really natural way
2: all right that's the deuce and it's playing right Mm -hmm. now on hbo looking forward to checking that one out uh, David, you, you've also been watching Insecure Season 2, right? Yeah. Quick shout-out to Insecure Season 2. This is the Issa Rae series,
1: and it's it's so good. I, 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 we're talking so much about HBO these days, and I think it's because for most of their big series, they're just killing it. And Insecure is a show that, you know, it explores relationships, it explores ways people of color have to navigate uh, their careers, and also, you know, just living in America today uh it's a fantastic show definitely worth watching season two is even better than the first so definitely just get on it uh
2: yeah that's on hbo right now insecure is the name of the show uh by the way brian davids from film subs is here in the chat room he says uh, michelle mclaren i think she directed the deuce right um uh, yeah yeah wanted you to smell new york you can smell it yeah you can smell it through the screen
1: you can you you can that, definitely like there there's a good amount of like, like a good thing that time period. <laughs> it's like watching Taxi Driver and just being like, I don't wanna I don't wanna walk down that street. Um <laughs> you can definitely smell the trash and the urine through
2: the screen. Speaking of uh yeah, James Franco if you're not
0: sold on that. <laughs> I don't know what was we'll it's called you. the deuce. What can I tell you?
2: Speaking of James Franco, I'm really excited for the disaster artist. I saw a trailer for this movie uh-huh. in front of it. And uh, it really feels like it's going to capture the the magic and the hilarity of uh, the book, The Disaster Artist, which I thought was both very funny but also a moving story about what it feels like to try and create something on your own against all odds. Uh, and so, anyway, just wanted to say – Do you um, think that we're in a full-on franco Sans?
0: Mm. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you the know, you were the, the one that told me you can't assance everything, Jeff.
0: I know. But now, now I've – I learned it by watching you, Dave. Yeah. Now I'm, I'm <laughs> seduced into the assoncing. No, all I want to do true. is assaunce all day long.
2: <laughs> the Franco-sance. Yeah. Um, we're, mm. uh, like we're in the midst of being a bunch of Franco-files. Hey, yeah. Hey. Okay. The true
1: Franco-sance is that we were in the middle of it this whole time. Yeah. Nobody. Yeah. nobody he's everywhere, guys. It's kind it's of always crazy. He's Frank. in so many movies, too. It's.
2: Not all of them are great, but he's <laughs> everywhere. Yeah, he's trying hard. Jeff Kanata, what have you been watching this week?
0: Well, I, uh, I eagerly anticipated and tuned in last night uh, for the premiere episode of The Orville, which is Seth MacFarlane's new homage to Star Trek, a Star Trek with comedy Except that he forgot the comedy.
2: I mean, part. Jeff, this show looks so great. It's basically like a television show version of the Galaxy Quest, right? You know, I right? Mean, yeah, it, with Except some classic Galaxy Seth MacFarlane humor. I mean, it's got to be good, right?
0: Uh, I see. The, see, the thing about the Galaxy Quest is it like it had a take. Yep, it had a take on on the. It was what we like to call uh, satire or a parody uh, or you know, taking a premise. And building a story around that premise, um, which all all of which the Orville is missing. <laughs> um, the Orville is trying to be. It's so strange to me. Like he clearly wants this show to legitimately be Star Trek, but yeah. also kind of be funny. But it's not really trying to be funny. It's more trying to be Star Trek, but but like tongue in cheek, but not really. I mean this. This shows, at least in the pilot, and again, pilots are sometimes poor representations of what the final project is going to be, so take it with a grain of salt. But my goodness, this has a long way to go to be watchable as far as I'm concerned. And I'm a fan of Seth MacFarlane's other shows, and I was rooting for this. I love Star Trek, and so I was really hoping for good things here. But, I mean, the idea, their version of a joke is – uh a character asking if he can drink soda on the bridge. Like legitimately, that's like a big gag line is like, hey, can I drink soda on the bridge? And then Seth McCartan goes, Yeah, I guess so if you don't spill any. He's like, Okay, cool, thanks.
2: Cool. That's yeah. hilarious. Yeah, you know, like I've always wondered why aren't there drinks on the bridge, Jeff? This yeah, this comments on it in an Little amusing holders, humorous yeah. fashion.
0: No, 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 Dave. The, that, that is what I wish it was. I wish it was <laughs> poking fun at the, the tropes of star Trek. It is not, it is not doing that. It is not even trying yeah. to do that.
1: It's it is, just star Trek.
0: It's yeah. just, it's really, it's, uh, the jokes really come from situational comedy stuff. Like his, uh, ex-wife who cheated on him is back in his life. It's like, th- that has nothing to do with making fun of star Trek. That's the right. situational comedy premise. um, and all of the Star Trek stuff is played at face value. Like it's all, it's all just trying to do actual adventure stuff and cool ideas Starship. and It's a
1: USS something or other. Yeah, USS uh, Orville.
2: I was reading Vox article, a Vox.com article about this, about how Seth MacFarlane talked about his love of Star Trek while carefully tiptoeing around, outright admitting how much he borrowed. But watching even a single minute of the show makes MacFarlane's inspiration obvious. From the Orville (laughs) crew's uniforms to the Klingon-esque krill alien species to the episodes fading to black at every commercial break, the Orville is, as my colleague Tom Vanderver put it, uh, just Seth MacFarlane filing the serial numbers off Star Trek. Oh. Uh, he also – this article also refers to IndieWire's Liz Shannon Miller, uh, a lifelong Trek fan who was so appalled by McFarlane's brazenness in borrowing both Star Trek's signature characteristics and several producers to create his own version that she concluded the Orville
0: is creatively, morally, and ethically bankrupt, end quote. Sounds about it, right. I didn't, have, I didn't even bother. I didn't take the time to b- bother to look this up, but I'll ask you, Devendra. Is Brent Spiner in this show? He is sounds he doing, like Brent Spiner, doesn't he? Somebody is either doing Brent Spiner or yeah. he legitimately hired Brent Spiner to do the voice of the robot.
1: There is a robot and he sounds exactly like either his direction <laughs> was do a Brent Spiner impression or they secretly cast Brent Spiner. Also, Norm MacDonald is in the show for some reason as like a pile of, uh, I
0: don't know, goo. goo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and I am th- pretty sure Rob oh, also apparently a it's
2: not movies. it's not Brent Spiner. There is an article called "Is okay. Brent Spiner on the Orville?" <laughs> Who plays the robot on the Orville? Uh, yeah. It's not Brent Spiner. Um, it is it's a actually, great impression.
0: It's, it's a, somebody doing a very good Brent Spiner. Yeah. yeah,
2: that's actually a symbol for the
1: entire series. Yeah, right. You you think it's Brent Spiner? Sounds so much like him, and you like Brent Spiner, <laughs> like, and you like want Brent that Brent Spiner
2: effect. has like a lawsuit potentially. Yeah. <laughs> it's a yeah. uh, Mark Jackson, by the way, is who plays a ah. robot. So
1: so my wife is a huge Brent Spiner and Data fan. Also thought that was him. So like it, they clearly it, were going for that. Wow, yeah. it's
0: wow. It, Dave. It is really depressingly bad yeah. it's very the
1: whole, bad. The, the, whoever called it creatively uh bankrupt that's what it is yeah. it feels like the pitch for this was you know seth, seth mcfarlane saying i like star trek and that's
0: yeah. it yeah <laughs> that's I, I, mean, I, thought, I, thought, I thought at the very least it's gonna be funny uh-huh. but it's not funny i mean there is no point at which it's funny
1: and now I think he's on a campaign to say, well, it's not really a comedy, guys. And Fox is pitching as a comedy. And people did come back to me on Twitter saying that. But even then, like, the drama that's there is yeah, so original and boring and dull. Like, it is weird to me that the uh, the Star Trek movies, you know, the Abrams one and the, uh, the third one, we're not going to talk about Into Darkness. Um, but at least those movies felt alive and original, even as they were recreating plot points from Star Trek. It's it's kind of insane. This just yeah. feels like a carbon copy.
2: All right, well that's the Orville. It's on Fox right now, and it sounds but, very bad. I, I think I should watch one episode just to see how. You bad should it watch is. one. Yeah. yeah, you
0: definitely should watch one episode if if you hate yourself. Yep. Um, BoJack Horseman season four is here, and uh, that is the opposite of everything I've been saying. <laughs> it is uh, original and amazing, and insightful, and hilarious, and beautiful, and uh, I love it. I. I I don't know why I keep forcing myself to try to decide what I like more Rick and Morty or BoJack Horseman, but I'm I'm at a stalemate. They're both just knocking it out of the park. And who knew, who knew that an animated show about anthropomorphized animals would be the most honest take about depression and self-loathing and Mm self-destruction on television? It is – so insightful and so good and so it it just hits home and the character of bojack i i keep they keep going to new depths with him and and finding new ways to express his particular mental state and Mm -hmm. it's i mean episode six in particular is a thing of of real beauty how,
2: how far did you get into this season jeff
0: uh, episode six. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I got to episode six, but episode six is, uh, is I think a high watermark. It's really tries to, it does something that the show has never done before. And it, it really, um, puts you inside Bojack's state of mind and kind of portrays, um, a level of self-destruction that I've never really seen a show tackle before in such an honest, direct way. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's quite something.
1: It's really good. Like, I'm still a little put off by seeing animals having sex with humans in the show. That's, like, the <laughs> one thing. It's still a little weird. It's never not going to be weird. Uh, but the season is so good. And some great new voices, too. Sharon Horgan's in here mm-hmm. um, as sort of, like, a British young pop star. Also, a Aparna Nancharla, who, Dave, we went to college with her. And it it is kind of funny seeing like her comedy career just taking off because she's been in a bunch of shows lately too, so I I just love that I love seeing her career rise up and she plays a major character in the season
0: too. She was uh, in um she was in a Master of None. Master of None, okay. Yeah. But was it? Did, it was did she have like shows. a big part in um, uh, Crashing? Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. She was there too.
1: She was one of the yeah. comedians there. So. She's you know, great.
0: Shout out to Barna. She's so good. Uh, speaking of uh, comedians, Dave, I also uh, watched the Bo Burnham stand-up special that you raved about. And I will uh, briefly echo your raves and say it should be watched by any fan of comedy. It's it's really something special. I didn't think, uh, you know, it's, a, it's I, a— I
2: assume you're talking about Make Happy. Is that the one, right?
0: Make Happy. In yeah, on Bo Netflix. Burnham's uh, yeah. Netflix comedy special, Make Happy, uh, which uh, is really— different structurally than any other stand-up special I've seen it's it's a series of vignettes almost a series of of disassociated uh, bits that he butts up against one another and and intentionally makes them uh, disparate and clashing and kind of um, non-cohesive um, and I, not all of them were home runs for me like some of them worked better than others but the ones that were my favorites were among the best comedy bits I've ever seen I mean it was they were daring and interesting and really self-reflexive and honest and uh, all the things I love about comedy and musical (laughs) you know they were they were uh, highly skilled those last
2: two songs I listened to just you know in my daily life because I really enjoyed those last two songs quite a bit um I felt like it was less of a stand-up special and more a deconstruction of a stand-up special like it's commenting on what a stand-up special even is right
0: in, in a, a lot of, of ways, ways, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah.
0: It's so. more of a one-man show than anything else. Yeah, yeah, totally.
2: So that's Bo Burnham's "Make Happy," and it's available on Netflix. And Jeff echoes
0: my sentiments. Dave, speaking of echoing sentiments. <laughs> All right, I'm curious how this is going. This is the best uh, transition <laughs> I can do. Nice. Um, when when we get sponsored by something, I always find myself uh, in a strange place because. Sometimes, uh, we get sponsored by a thing like, like Sonos and I've been using it in my own life for many, many months and I already know that I love it. But other times we get sent the thing to see if we're going to like it. And I'm in this weird position where I definitely want to like it because I want to be able to speak honestly about the sponsor and, and say, I like it, but I kind of don't want to like it too much because if I do, then it sounds like I'm not being honest because I I get so effusive in my praise. And that's where I find myself with RX Bar. I love these things. And I'm going to sound like a total shill. I'm going to sound insincere because I love these things. Well, what, what is RX Bar, Jeff? Tell us what RX oh, Bar is. I'm so, David, I'm so glad you asked. RX Bar is a whole food protein bar. So what does that mean? Means this is a, a a bar that you can eat. You can eat it for you know breakfast on the go, a snack, like post or pre workout. These are you know protein bars, right? They're, but they're made with hundred percent whole ingredients, and they're completely transparent about what's inside them. Uh, they're made with really good stuff, and all the ingredients are printed like on the front in. Yeah, big, bold.
2: It, it's like a very striking design for the bar, right? Like, yeah, the, the, bar, I think it's the packaging. Dave.
0: I think it's Helvetica.
2: The packaging is just the like on the packaging is like the ingredients written out in a very no-nonsense fashion. It's very striking, right?
0: Yeah, and it kind so of sta- like it's kind of egg states, whites
2: yeah, or exactly.
0: chocolate, you know. It kind um, of does a good job a of stating of what
2: the the kind of. The positioning of the bar is is like, hey, we are pure ingredients. We are good, high-quality stuff, and we're going to yeah. put that all on the label. So,
0: No artificial colors, no artificial flavors, no preservatives, no fillers, none of the junk that you can find in, in other products. And uh, they are gluten-free, soy-free, and dairy-free. No added sugar. So here's the thing. I'm not a guy that really loves protein bars. I'll eat a protein bar here and there. But most of the time, honestly, it's not even the flavor that I have a problem with. It's the texture. All, a lot of protein bars are chalky or like grainy and just don't have the right texture. And just they, feel they, they like don't have a eating. good mouthfeel, right? I, I would never use that <laughs> term, but I'm glad you did. Yep. Um, you need good I mean, mouthfeel. Good mouthfeel is necessary. You got to have a ma- I can't even say it. But <laughs> you definitely want that because. Honestly, those things make you feel like you're you're eating something that you got prescribed. You know, it's like you know you're trying to be good to your body because it tastes so terrible and feels so gross in your mouth. But RX bars are not like that at all. Oh, my God. They're, they're a godsend. They, they have the best texture for me. I love them. They, they taste great. They have like 11 flavors. My favorite is uh, the berry, but there's like salted chocolate, all kinds of stuff. And we're going to give you 25% off your first order. All you got to do is go to rxbar.com slash filmcast and then use the promo code filmcast when you check out. And you'll get 25% off your first order of RX bars. You got to try these. If you're a person that wants to eat better and not put garbage in your body and you, you, you have tried other bars and you might not like them, that's how I am. And I'm going to be completely honest with you guys. This is completely true. They sent us some of these, and I'm ordering more. <laughs> out of I'm, I'm getting on a plan where I order these periodically because I love them so much. I want them in my house. RX Bar, RXBar.com/slash/filmcast promo code filmcast.
2: Thanks so much to RX Bar for sponsoring us, guys. Let's move on to film news this week. Some rather big film news dropped. Uh, just a little b- bit just l- yeah. just a little bit Colin Trevorrow, who uh, ha- has been a little controversial in the past um for a couple of reasons that I can get into in a bit uh he has left Star Wars episode 9 uh, the description of what happened was that they had difference in creative vision right uh
0: mm-hmm. here's the here's he wanted the uh, it to be good <laughs> <laughs> and- he had other visions
2: (laughs) at star wars.com. Uh, they posted this very simple statement. Lucasfilm and Colin Trevorrow have mutually chosen to part ways in star Wars episode nine. Colin has been a wonderful collaborator throughout the development process, but we've all come to the conclusion that our visions for the project differ. We wish Colin the best and we'll be sharing more information about the film soon. End quote. Massive, massive news for a variety of reasons. I mean, you know, Uh, Colin Trevorrow, already kind of controversial, Uh, he was given Jurassic World after an incredibly tiny indie film, Safety Not Guaranteed. Uh, That movie made over a billion dollars, and so he went from strength to strength, released The Book of Henry, which I don't know if you guys have seen, but it is a batshit insane movie. uh, I wonder how much that contributed to this.
1: Well, I it was one of the worst reviewed movies this year
2: i so. highly i highly i mean i mean I think that to the I, I highly doubt that it was a deciding factor, but you know vulture did come out with an article explaining uh, from a source explaining like why they think Trevorrow was removed or, or they decided to go their separate ways. Here's a quote from some a source inside Lucasfilm who says, During the making of Jurassic World, Colin Trevorrow focused a great deal on his, of his creative energies on asserting his opinion, but because he had been pr- personally hired by Spielberg, nobody could say, you're fired. Oof. Once that film went through the roof and he chose to do Book of Henry, Trevorrow was unbearable. He had an egotistical point of view, And he was always asserting that, end quote. Now, take that with a massive grain of salt, because to be a successful director, I think, you need to have a really strong point of view. Uh, But I think that this whole Star Wars saga, like the the behind-the-scenes stuff, is really, really fascinating. I think Trevorrow is the fourth director to be removed, right? (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. There was Josh Trank, uh, who was removed, and then Lord and Miller— uh, Trevorrow. And then, you know, he, he wasn't technically removed, but Gareth Edwards uh, right. famously was sidelined in favor of like Tony Gilroy, who helped to bring Rogue One back uh, from a, a challenging place. It feels like, you know, they wanted uh, Kathleen Kennedy of the folks at Lucasfilm started by saying like, hey, we want exciting, hot, up and coming directors to uh, take the Star Wars franchise and bring it in all these different directions and now they're uh, deciding that that's not what they want to do right. after all, right? <laughs> um,
0: well, I wonder, yeah, I wonder if, if, if we read into this trend more than just uh, these specific cases, because Ryan Johnson certainly is the outlier here, right? Because he, mm-hmm. he fits into the young, exciting, outside-the-box choice, and he seems to have uh, worked out, on all sides yeah from yeah, what but,
2: everyone is saying like from what all sources are saying uh everyone is really pleased with uh ryan johnson's mm-hmm. work on star wars episode eight so
1: well we know he plays a good banjo i think that guy uh <laughs> he, we he could at least work well or work better with others which you know goes a long way in any job friend it doesn't really show, matter yeah, a friend
2: of the show uh, multiple times slash film cast guest Uh, And hopefully, a future slash film guest guest. But yeah, Ryan Johnson, really looking forward to him uh, showing us what he can do with Star Wars Episode 8. Also, uh, he has, I think, uh, stated publicly that. He is current, like, not currently in the running. Like The plan was always for him to do only episode eight. There is yep. a, a feeding frenzy of speculation that, oh, just get Ryan Johnson to do episode nine. You he know? did write episode nine, or at least was involved with that. Right. So, so yeah. it, it, there is an open question about whether he will be involved in episode nine. I think that would be exciting. Um, also, uh, Jermaine Lucier speculated on the Slash Film Daily podcast that J.J. Uh, Abrams, also being courted to come back as well, These are people who are kind of proven quantities in the Star Wars universe. They've already directed Star Wars films that people are happy to. It is the
1: end of the trilogy, so you know probably more important than any of the others. But I I would like to see some different choices in there for sure.
0: Yeah, I would too. I'm I'm hoping for um, something a little more interesting than than JJ. I I would love to see more Ryan Johnson. But you know, having not seen Episode Eight yet, we don't know how that how that's going to turn out. But you get the sense that he's just so darn cool and good at this, <laughs> at this job. I mean, I love every movie he's made, so I have a hard time believing he wouldn't do a great job here. But, um, I, you know, I, do you guys think that there's going to be an episode 10? What's uh, the future of Star Wars? This is a 10?
2: Disney franchise, Jeff. Yeah, there's definitely going to be an episode 10. But, I mean, will
0: they do episode 10 or they just start making the Han Solo movie and the Stormtrooper Trevor, no, Storm Storm
2: Trevor movie? It's all, all of the above is mm-hmm. uh, yeah. my answer to your question. Just I think there will everything. be an episode 10... Yeah. And it will keep going on forever. Like, th- there will soon be a Star Wars movie every year. It might not be an Episode Ten or Eleven movie. It might be like yeah. a Han Solo movie. But I think we're going to continue to see Star- these movies. Make too much money. Uh, yeah. I, to- I don't
0: doubt that. Yeah. I'm 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 saying, are we going to see something called Star Wars Episode Ten? Yeah, I wonder. I'm, that's what I'm yeah. saying. Yes, okay. <laughs> I, think, I, I think I'd
1: imagine there would be a much longer wait between like what we're seeing now, between like you know seven and eight and eight and nine. But yeah, eventually.
2: I do think it's kind of interesting that just this, the, the corporatization of Star Wars. I mean, obviously, it's always been corporate, but there is this perception uh, that uh, this process is kind of removing the individuality and uh, chance taking out of making Star Wars movies. And uh, I think, you, you know. <sighs> Do the fans even care about that? I don't. Even, I don't know if they do. I think if if uh, was
0: there ever originality and chance taking in Star Wars movies? It's a good. Oh. It's a good question. Oh, the, and
2: the, and the I mean, look at Star Wars: uh, Force Awakens. You know what I mean? Like, let's say there are a lot of similarities between that plot and A New Hope, and people ate that up and made it one of the most successful movies of all time. So, I feel like the people over at Lucasfilm, specifically Kathleen Kennedy, who's kind of the keeper of the flame here, know what they're doing, and. Even though we're seeing this string of uh, director departures, like I I feel like we're probably coming to the end of that. I feel like Mm. they were burned already with uh, the Lorda Miller thing, uh, where Lorda Miller, right? They were fired off the project weeks before the end of principal photography, and they're just they just thought like we're not going through that again. We're not going through that again. Nip it in the bud. Colin Trevorrow hasn't even started shooting Star Wars Episode Nine yet. Let's just you know figure like take care of it right now, and that's what they did.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so I wonder if you're going to see I, I'm curious about the sort of generational positioning of of these people, because, you know, Lord Miller were replaced with Ron Howard, which is of a completely different generation than than these young filmmakers. And I wonder mm-hmm. if if Kennedy and Disney are going to resort back to a an older generation of filmmakers that are a little more known quantity a little more reliable have been around the yeah. block a little longer and if you're just going to see names that are much more familiar being plugged into these franchises like ron howard
1: or at least people who are more experienced right i think they the the uh, i think part of the thing they were trying to do was get the young hot directors um, and yeah, there are people who have been working maybe not as long as Ron Howard without that amount of output, but who have been working reliably. And uh, r- like we were saying, Ryan Johnson has had a couple movies, had a couple projects, definitely more experience than some of the other choices that they've had. Who
2: I mean, Ron, Ron Howard is very much a journeyman director, yeah. right? Like someone who can go in and get the job done. Um, but yeah, I think they probably will lean more towards people who they can quote unquote control more. Um, Oscar nominated filmmaker Steven Daldry is in the early talks for uh the Obi-Wan film. So, how?
1: yeah, how did that happen? But yeah. okay.
2: But yeah. you know, again, like older more experienced director uh who probably is less likely to uh want to do their own thing and is like is more experienced working with a massive studio with a billion dollar franchise behind it. So, uh I I don't necessarily see this as as a, a bad thing but I do think it is something that uh it, it it's not a good look for Lucasfilm but I feel like mm-hmm. they've learned they've been burned already multiple times they've learned their lesson and I don't think they're going to repeat this mistake again. So. Well,
0: also you know Rogue One proved that it doesn't matter what the look is. You know, <laughs> no one no one thinks about that. When they're walking into that.
1: Nobody anime. knows who's making these movies. Just, exactly. just give me more star war. Yeah.
0: Indeed. Yeah.
2: All right. Uh, other thing I wanted to mention this week in terms of film news guys. Um, and that is, uh, the, this whole notion that rotten tomatoes is to blame for the horrible box office. Like this is a historically terrible summer in terms of box office. uh, <laughs> I texted you guys about this right like the, the, if you look at like tickets sold if you look at grosses like most metrics it is uh, it's 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 pretty bad um, and there's like I thought this was just some silly uh, thing that you know deadline.com was writing about oh movie studios are blaming rotten tomatoes but it made the New York Times this week guys in an article called attacked by rotten tomatoes do you see this uh, yeah. it, it, very disappointing. I'm going to quote from the article here. Um, uh, between the first weekend in May and Labor Day, a sequel stuff period that typically accounts for 40% of annual ticket sales, box office revenue in North America totaled $3.8 billion, a 15% decline from the same time period last year. To find a slower summer, you'd have to go back 20 years. Business has been so bad that America's three biggest theater chains have lost $4 billion in market value since May. Ready for the truly alarming part? Hollywood is blaming a website. Rotten Tomatoes. I think it's the destruction of our business, says Brett Ratner, the director, producer, and film financier uh, at a film festival this year. Uh, Some studio executives concede that a few recent movies, just a few, were simply bad. Flawed marketing may have played a role uh, in a couple of other instances, along with competition from Netflix and Amazon. But most studio fingers point towards Rotten Tomatoes, which boils down hundreds of reviews to give fresh or rotten scores on its tomato meter. The site has surged in popularity, attracting 13.6 million unique visitors in May, a 32 percent increase above last year's total for the month. End quote. I I, I think this whole article and what it implies is just completely ludicrous i mean i think <laughs> i don't know about rotten tomatoes the site being um solely responsible for hollywood's terrible summer i think online trends perhaps have contributed to uh the summer being bad like people being able to share or on twitter and on instagram or facebook or whatever their opinion of the movie like that really can sink a movie's chances right before right out of the gate you know that's uh, that's something that that's a big deal. But the idea that like Rotten Tomatoes is at fault here, when really it just aggregates reviews uh, of movies that were often terrible this summer, uh, it just struck me as completely ludicrous. What do you guys think? Yeah. What do you guys think of this? It's yeah, it's
0: ludic- yeah. <laughs> we we made a whole bunch of bad movies, and if nobody had known they were bad, everybody would have gone to see them.
2: Clearly, that's <laughs> the problem. Yes. Yeah. I, it just yeah, it was so dispiriting to see this article in the New York Times because it, it was a decent look at uh, Rotten Tomatoes, the site, but it uncritically posits the idea that you know uh, Ron Tomatoes is just to blame for a lot of this bad studio box office. Meanwhile, I'm sure Ron Tomatoes is psyched about all the uh, all the publicity, you know, because it, it's it, anyone anytime anyone describes power to you is a good thing. But I just think it's quite a stretch that <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes is at fault here
0: plenty of, of movies that were deemed fresh on Rotten Tomatoes that underperformed. You know, right. War of, mm-hmm. of War of the Planet of the is Apes one. is a big one, yeah. 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 So, and yeah.
1: don't forget, like, Rotten Tomatoes owned, uh, looking up here, 70% by NBC Universal and partially <laughs> by Warner
0: Brothers. Like, they they are a part of it. <laughs> You're talking to the man in the mirror.
2: <laughs> I will say this, you know, I, I've spoken with a few independent filmmakers about Rotten Tomatoes, and there is a lot of, um... Like, I remember speaking with an indie filmmaker who got their film onto Netflix, and he had expressed to me that Rotten Tomatoes is a pervasive thing that follows you everywhere. Like, you know, if you're listed in Fandango, like anywhere your movie's listed, essentially, uh, the Rotten Tomatoes scores will follow it there. For, so, for instance, in iTunes, if you go to buy a movie in iTunes, you yep. see every movie's Rotten Tomatoes score. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, d- I do think it is, like, an v- extremely influential site. It's just... The idea that it led to the, hor- like, horrifically terrible box office I, is just a real stretch for me. So, anyway, uh, wanted to mention it because it's a narrative that has been uh, very pervasive this summer. And it was a really,
0: really rough summer, guys. I mean, yeah. uh, in terms of it's box gonna, office. It's going to have yeah. repercussions. It's gonna ha- there's going to be a ripple effect from the giant lead balloon that landed (laughs) this summer.
2: Good
1: thing things are looking up this fall, though. Like, just from this week alone. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I I mean, the movie It made way more than uh, many summer blockbusters on opening weekend, you know? Like, It made more than Wonder Woman, than War of the Planet of the Apes. Like, I I mean, many movies in our top ten, It, the movie, made more money than. So, it's crazy. It's crazy. Huge success. Huge success story. All right.
0: Uh, Speaking of huge successes, Dave. Yes, let me tell you about a huge success that happened in my life. Tell me about it. Uh, this weekend, we had my my little son's first birthday party. Oh, nice! Yeah, little Jack turned one uh, last week, and we had his birthday party this weekend, and that meant um, my family came into town, and I moved. My wife and I moved into a house uh, last January. And is the first time that my dad and his wife visited our new house. Now, this is a big deal for me, that my dad was coming, and uh, I wanted to show off because my, my you know, my, I look up to my dad. He's always been a tech geek. He's always had the newest, latest, best. That's where I got that phrase from for one of my shows. It was from him. He coined it. And uh, he's one of those guys that I'll come in and he'll be like, he found a new song on the radio, and he like puts it on his sound system and cranks it up. So I wanted to do that to him with my Sono system. And I cannot tell you what joy it brought me. I put <laughs> on a song by a band called The Midnight called Sunset. I highly recommend this band called The Midnight. I put that on in my Sono surround system. It's the same system that I use to watch movies. It's a surround sound system. It's the play bass, uh, two play ones for rear speakers, and the sub and my dad went bonkers. He could not <laughs> believe how good it sounded. And I, I mean, I'm telling you, it was one of the best moments of my life. He couldn't believe it. He's like looking up online about how to buy Sonas for himself. It, it, it gave me so much joy and the whole place was rocking and it dude it sounds so good. I actually got the Playbase originally because I didn't want to get a subwoofer because I thought with a – Young baby, I wasn't going to be able to put a subwoofer on um, because and and the playbase doesn't really need a subwoofer, but I'm telling you, adding the sub to the system is amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, playing music, watching movies. I know you guys have do, have been doing it too with with your yeah. I, I systems, actually right? brought
2: my parents over to my place uh, this week and did the same thing. Jeff uh, played them some music on the Sonos and they were completely blown away. Uh, We are truly
0: truly two sides of the same coin, David. We truly are. We truly are. But yeah,
2: Sonos, for those who don't know, is like this incredibly high-quality speaker system that uses your wireless network uh, to play music. Um, You use an optical cable to connect it to your TV if you want to play uh, movie sound or TV sound. Uh, And the way it works with an app, like in the app on your smartphone, um, the
0: way it's able to kind of uh there's what true what is it called true tone is that what it's called yeah it, uh, it calibrates based on your phone really it's all so simple and we had this big party at my house and we wanted to have people outside tr- true, so play, all true play
2: by the way true play is, uh, is oh, what uh, i say is true tone yeah, yeah excuse me true play um, speaker tuning yeah so you use your cell phone to like calibrate the speaker so they sound good i mean it all works incredibly seamlessly but go ahead jeff
0: I was saying that we you know we had people outside, and so all I had to do, you know, if you have a, a surround sound system, chances are you spent hours you know, running speaker wire just so so it's hidden in a, you don't have to do any of that with Sonos. It's all wireless. you just need to plug it into an outlet. So I was able to unplug one of my uh, play ones, put it out outside and play music outside with it just by plugging it into an outlet. It's so simple, it's so good sounding, and, and it, it really is it's really the best sound i've ever had in any place i've ever lived in my life
2: i'm gonna say this too i feel like the sonos packaging even just the packaging is like some of my favorite electronics packaging (laughs) i've ever had (laughs) The little like lock yeah there's like a little lock on the box it's so you gotta protect
1: the speakers guys come on yeah
2: every component of sonos from the packaging all the way down to how the parts are machined feels like an incredible amount of care was put into
0: it. So, And we're going to give you 10% off your order by going to Sonos.com and using our promo code, which is Filmcast10. Now that's capital filmcast A S T one zero. 0 So make sure you input that correctly. You'll get 10% off your order of anything up to $2,500. So you can really go crazy if you want and save 10%. That's a pretty cool offer these are the best speakers I've ever owned in my life. They're also the simplest, easiest to use. I mean, it really is the total package. I love them. I really, really do. I've, I've had these well before they were a sponsor. I, I, you know, I bought my Sonos system uh, months and months ago, and I'm just so pleased that they are sponsoring us because we get to tell you about how awesome they are. So go to Sonos.com, S-O-N-O-S, and use the promo code Filmcast10 with a capital F.
2: Thanks to Sonos for sponsoring us this week. Uh, We also want to thank all the people that donated to the Swimcast this week. Thanks to Miss Sarah Pants from Brooklyn. Actually, a donation was made on Miss Sarah Pants' behalf. Thanks to Steve Canty, Ian from Ontario, Canada, Nicole R. from Germany, James D. from Petaluma, uh, Petaluma, California, Rodolfo from Los Angeles, California. Thanks so much for your donations. Thanks to Andy Zetto, Glenn Harvey, and Edward Abercrombie for your subscriptions at the rate of $2 per month. If you like the Slash Filmcast, you want to support us, help us defray the cost of seeing movies, go to slashfilm.com, click on the Slash Filmcast tab, use the PayPal links on the side of the page. Really appreciate those donations. I, you know, uh, things have been so busy for me recently. I have not been able to even go to these screenings I have, so I've had to go just see movies uh, regularly um, and you know pay normal prices to go see them. And I really appreciate the donations that uh, help us to do our job here on the Slash Filmcast. So thanks so much, everyone. Really appreciate it. And uh, thanks to all of our sponsors this week. Let's get to our review of IT.
0: There's not like any town I've ever been in before. People die or disappear six times the national average. And that's just grownups. Kids are
2: worse. Way, way worse. We all float down here. That was from the trailer from It, a new film by director Andy Muschietti. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. A group of bullied kids band together when a shape-shifting demon taking the appearance of a clown begins hunting children. So, Jeff, you went to go see this movie at a screening this week, right?
0: I did, and I wanted to tell you guys a little story about it. Um, You guys have been to uh, press screenings before, and you know that they're a unique animal. Um, I am chronically early anyway. I'm early to everything. It's just who I am. But I'm particularly early to press screenings because there's no assigned seating, and it's all catch -catch can, and there's a lot of chaos. And I just want to get in the theater and be seated and be calm and ready to watch a movie. So I got to this screening of It very early. I sat down. There were almost nobody in the theater when I sat down. And uh, I got a great seat in the center. And uh, a couple of minutes after I sat down, uh, two ladies, uh, two older ladies came into the theater and uh, happened to sit directly next to me in the the (laughs) theater. And that's fine. It's totally fine. But um, the thing about press screenings, too, is especially in L.A., there are a lot of – People that have been reviewing movies for many, many years. So mm-hmm. you never know who is, a, a, you know, a, an old timey newspaper reviewer or whatever. And so I didn't think much of it at first. But I, I was sitting there, and and uh, uh, eventually uh, the woman's phone went off, and we were well before the movie, so I wasn't annoyed particularly. But I, it went off, and it was very loud, and it was like. <laughs> And she answers it, and she's talking, uh, and she's talking in Russian. And uh, she finishes her call, and she puts the phone away. And uh, I start looking around in the theater and thinking to myself, did I walk into the wrong auditorium? Because <laughs> this is a big multiplex. And am I it's, t- it's entirely possible that I walked into the wrong theater because you guys know that with press screenings, most of the time they give you a ticket. Yeah. But some this one they happened to not give me a ticket, and I just strolled into what I thought was the right the right screening room. So and they I sometimes wasn't quite,
1: shout the uh, the screening room at you, but it's easy to miss here and whatnot. Yeah,
0: right. Yeah. So I so I'm like I started going. Oh my gosh, did I did I go into the wrong theater? So I turned to her and I say, uh, "You guys are here to see it," and she sort of laughed and went, <laughs> "Yes," and I went, "Oh, oh, okay. Well, you're br- you're you're braver than I am. You're br- you're brave brave thing to come see the movie." And she's going to smile and laugh. I wasn't quite sure there was understanding there, but I didn't want to, you know, make it awkward. So I'm sitting there and it's still, you know, quite a ways before the movie starts and I'm hanging out and looking at my phone and hanging out and then her phone goes off again. And I'm like, oh, oh, now I'm so worried. Two
2: different ringtones. I'm sorry, Jeff.
0: Go ahead. I'm pretty sure those were exactly the same. <laughs> both times. It was a continuation of the first song. Oh, I see. Okay. I got yeah. understand now. Um. And I start getting worried now that there's going to be this woman who's not going to have her phone off, and she's going to she's clearly getting a lot of calls. So I'm <laughs> I'm now I'm getting worried. So she answers that call, finishes it up, and uh and I say, uh, you're going to turn your phone off for the movie, right? And she kind of smiles and 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 I and then I repeat it like you're going to turn your phone off for the movie, <laughs> or and else. She goes right, and she goes, I- I'm I'm sorry, you know, if you just you speak so fast. I don't understand you. If you speak slower, I can understand. And I went, Oh, Oh, so not only, so this lady is here and doesn't really speak English very well. (laughs) Now, now it's weird. Now I'm, now I'm really like, it's strange. And I look and she is in a nice dress, clearly in her mid to late sixties. And the woman she's with is her mother. It's got to be her mother. It's even older than she is. I mean, this is a very old woman. Has a cane. Is these are two people that don't seem like they're the target audience for it. And and so I go well. Oh, uh, are you here to see it? And and she said she says oh you know we are uh, talk slow. We are uh, on vacation here. And I was like uh oh. What's, what's happening yeah. right now? yeah what's happening right now? Uh, and it's kind of becomes my moral duty to stop you from seeing it, because I don't think you know what happened. So we get into this conversation. It turns out she has a daughter uh, who moved to America. They came to visit her. she'd spent the weekend like going to Hollywood Boulevard and seeing the Walk of Fame and doing, uh, doing um, uh, touristy stuff, and they wanted to see the world famous. Chinese theater. Now this, this, (laughs) this particular press screening happened to be at the man's Chinese. But if anybody who lives in LA or has ever been there knows the man's Chinese is the big famous, uh, old, you know, place with star Wars premiere that has the, all the stuff in front of it with the handprints on the concrete, but it also has a multiplex attached to it, which is not the historic man's Chinese theater. So they would thought they had walked (laughs) into the historic and they just strolled in, and no <laughs> one stopped them. They didn't buy a ticket. They just walked in, and because they walked in with purpose, all the press people just assumed that these old ladies were old reporters. You know, <laughs> that's the key to getting to anything, by the way. it's it's so yeah. true. And the Russians know it. The Russians know <laughs> it. Um, so now, I'm it's all coming together to me what's happening. And I'm like, this is not the the man's Chinese theater. This is not what you want to see. and And they're like, oh, okay well, we'll stay here. And I was like, well, do you know what this movie is? And they're like, no. And I, and I pull up a picture of the, the terrible clown (laughs) anyways on my phone. And I go, this, this is the movie that you're about to see. And she takes it from me and she looks at it and she hands it to her mother and they have a conversation in Russian and she hands it back to me and she goes, Oh, oh, it's scary. And then they sit there and I'm like, (laughs) And then the lady behind me, who's also a legit film reviewer, starts chiming in. She's like, I don't think they understand. I'm like, I know. This is going to be bad. This is going to be <laughs> very bad for everyone involved. And this is a packed screening, and they're, they're not supposed to be here. And it's all – it's so weird, and I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Turns out they're lov- lovely ladies. They start showing me pictures of, of of their family and telling me about how they spent time in San Diego. This is their first trip to America. They really hope – the relationship of our two countries improves so they can keep coming here. Uh, and I don't know what to do. I keep trying to tell them, this is a very scary movie, very scary. It's. I don't think you want to see this. Nothing, nothing, nothing. She keeps asking me when it's going to start. And I say, well, we still have like 20 more minutes. Okay, we, well, we still have 10 more minutes. Okay, well, five more minutes. And I'm like, y- You you can leave, right? No, no, we'll stay. We stay. Okay, okay. Well, is your is your phone off at least?
2: <laughs>
0: turns her phone off. The movie starts. And I'm not going to spoil anything from the beginning of the movie, but suffice to say, like many horror movies, it starts with a killing. Yeah. And uh, right after that, they stood up and walked out of the theater. <laughs> nice. And she turns, to, she turns to me in the dark, and she goes thank you, very nice to meet you, and <laughs> leaves. And leaves. You tried, Jeff. You tried. I tried. Yeah, you did I your tried. duty. Yeah. <laughs> all so right. that's the story of how I watched It with two empty seats next to me for no nice. reason. Uh,
2: nice, nice, Well, guys, uh, I, have all of us seen the It miniseries that aired many years ago?
1: Yeah, yes. ha- have you seen it recently? No,
2: no. you know, Davindra, you said you saw it recently and found it to be, it doesn't hold up very well, right? It is borderline unwatchable. Mm. So, yeah, what, let me just put it that way. What, what is I don't un- remember
0: it being that way, but... What, okay. what is
2: unwatchable about it?
1: The acting? Yeah, I see. The <laughs> writing? The, like, just the way things... Were, like, Tim Curry is clearly the best thing about that miniseries, but I tried rewatching it recently. I saw it when I was a kid, for sure, and I remember it being really scary, but watching it now, like it, is, nothing about that miniseries really works aside from Tim Curry.
2: Yeah, I mean, t- Tim Curry—that is one of the most iconic depictions, yes, uh, of of a character, of a villain character of all time. I would argue. I mean, I think a lot of people's association with the the concept of clown. Is tied up with Tim Curry's performance in mm-hmm. the 1990
0: miniseries directed by Tommy Lee Wallace. Here's another interesting: he did, he did for clowns basically what he did for transvestites.
2: Um, which uh, well, which movie are in you Rocky right Horror?
0: Rocky oh, Horror. that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: You know, uh, he was almost the Joker in Batman the Animated Series. I just
2: heard that recently. He, yeah. he did for clowns would it, it would what he great. did for butlers in the movie Clue. Yeah. That's
0: <laughs> there a great, you great Sort of forced performance.
2: Uh, it was good. Anyway, you know, well, another thing that was interesting was I remember it being like way longer uh, when it was a miniseries. Yeah. But in yeah. fact, it was only two parts, uh, four hours with commercials. So the actual runtime is, uh, was only like 192 minutes on television. And uh, that means that basically the two movies that we're going to get. Are going to be longer than the It miniseries, which I was surprised to, to discover because I, I always felt like the miniseries had like, tons of time, you know? Right, yeah. But, uh, but the movies will actually be longer. Now, this version of It that's in theaters right now makes some pretty critical decisions. You know, it's, both the miniseries and the movies, uh, you know, there's going to be a sequel to this movie, especially with how successful it is, uh, are based off Stephen King's uh, over 1,100 page novel. And uh, this, this movie makes some, some crucial, not necessarily obvious decisions. One big decision is uh, that it is only from the perspective of the kids, right? So in mm-hmm. the miniseries, you would intercut between uh, the – you would cut back and forth between the kids and the adult versions of them and you kind of get to see Same with how- the book. Uh, that's yeah. right. That's same same with the book, and you kind of see how those things are juxtaposed and, and thematically. And um, this movie says we're not doing that. We're going to tell a self-contained yeah. story using only the kids. Uh, really interesting decision, and I very smart guys, choice. I yeah, think. yeah. I, I think very smart. Another very smart choice, I would say, is uh,
0: they agree mo- with the smartness of that choice.
2: But. Th- they moved the time period from 1950s to 1980s. Which I think uh, was also very good because for most of us watching it now, like the 1980s, is that nostalgia time, right?
1: It's also um, the same amount of time between correct the 80s and the 50s and now in the 80s, and right. guys were old.
2: Yes, indeed, <laughs> yeah. indeed. So okay, well, Jeff, let's, let's let's talk about that first decision that they made. You you know, I asked about like uh, whether it was a good decision to have only the kids versus like. I don't know what the alternate version of this movie could have been. Maybe it could have been two hours and 45 minutes, you know what I mean? And you could have intercut between the kids and the adults, or maybe you could have just been like half a movie with kids and the adults, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Um, But Jeff, what what did you think of that decision and how did the movie work overall for you?
0: Oh, well, um, I, I, you know, I went through a very strong Stephen King period, Uh, actually right around the same age that these kids are in the movie in the same year that this movie takes place. So I very much lived this, <laughs> these lives. Uh, and I was reading it at 13 in 1989, you know? So I, I, I hate to date myself like that, but it's true. Uh, and I remember bringing that book to camp and like reading the dirty bits out loud in my bunks to all the other, you know, Nutty crappy, yeah. 12 year old boys in the, <laughs> in the bunk. And, uh, so, I mean, I, I read that book twice and, I barely remember it. But what I do remember, and I definitely don't remember the miniseries very well at all. But what I do remember is how important the mirroring aspects of the, the young lives and the old lives were to what was going on. The fact that this happens every 27 years and that these, these things that happened then are, also happen now and cutting back and forth highlighted that. I felt like that was such a big part of what made it, it. And I think removing that, removing the juxtaposition, uh, for for me, I, I, I'm not sure it was the right choice. I'm just saying that. I, I think the movie works fine as just a kid's movie. But I think overall, overall, I came away from this movie thinking it was fine. It was fine. It didn't particularly... I didn't think it did anything particularly well. And I think a lot of movies... That are trying to do what it does do do it better. Uh, I think I don't think this movie does what it's doing better than its contemporaries. I don't think it's better than a lot of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, which this basically is a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. And I know the yeah. movie even like nods yeah. to it at, at a certain point. There's a nice point. little
1: Dream Warriors reference in there. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and, but those movies do that better. In fact, they're, they're more fun because there's more rules. Like there's, you understand how Freddy works a lot better than you understand how Pennywise works. And that's not a fault from my memory. It's not a fault of the book because the, this movie just throws out all of the rules from the book and just invents its own stuff. Uh, and I guess that's fine, but it, I didn't find it particularly scary. I really I really liked the performances of all the kids. I thought they were all across the board excellent. None of them felt like they were acting. They were all well cast and all brought a, a lot of personality to the roles. I, I found them very charming. But I think the movie overall felt really flat to me and not particularly inspired. It, it felt like a retread of something rather than something fresh and interesting, a fresh, interesting take on a, on a known quantity. I didn't think it was... Nearly as good as even Stranger Things, which is doing what this movie does but better. Which was and inspired probably heavily by Stephen King. Oh yeah, right. Oh, so very much. I mean, yeah. need, uh, Needful Things. The the font is the font for Stranger Things, and right. it's not. There's mm-hmm. no no coincidence that this you know it's very much a Stephen King inspired thing, and and it it still feels fresher even as an homage uh, than this direct adaptation feels to me. Uh, I I never was particularly scared by the clown. I thought the very first scene where you see the clown is the most effective time you see him. And after that, it all, none of it, 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 This is a movie that confuses volume for terror. Like it just gets loud instead of getting scary. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I felt like it it just, it just felt a little flat for me. It's fine. It's not a bad movie, but it just didn't particularly work for me.
2: Interesting. Divine your hardware, what are your thoughts on it? Uh,
1: You know what? I think the choice to focus on the kids is extremely wise. Uh, Just rewatching that miniseries recently, like the way it could just be like that thing was not well made in general. Um, But the conveying the present time, and the past time cinematically is tough, especially when you have this big group of characters. So I could imagine how tough it would have been to have like the adult actors, you know, the, the adult versions of these characters and the kids and switching between and stuffing all this stuff in. Uh, I think, you know, I did read the book, too, when I was a teenager. And from what I remember of it, you know, I really liked the book. Um, but for this particular telling of the story, it makes a lot more sense just to focus. And, you know, I, I love this film. I, I think it was fantastic. Uh, although I do agree with you, Jeff, that some aspects of it, uh, specifically a lot of the Pennywise set pieces, aren't particularly scary. I think there are more ways to show off like what uh, Andy Machete could do, and you know how they can, what they can do with visual effects these days. And there's some great set pieces. Um, there's only one that I think was really genuinely a little surprising and scary. And there's one that happens in a garage that was really well done. Uh, but what I love about this movie is that it really also gets the just casual horror of real life and humans and the adults in this movie are creepy and terrifying in ways that feel real and natural. And I love all the kids too. Um, so the relationship between like this band of kids, a uh, great group of actors um, and the way they see the world and the way they relate to adults and kind of the fear they have. Uh, yeah. That all really worked for me. And I think that gets to a lot of what Stephen King's works uh, involve too. Just like the, 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 casual horror of reality i think this movie gets quite well um i wish the set pieces were a little better done but pennywise you know as a design in the way scars guard's doing it is so well done like the unrecognizable there's like a,
2: unrecognizable
1: unrecognizable although if you see him in interviews now you could definitely see like just the way his face is angled the, you can smi- kind of the see smile it. you could see it I the think. smile is yeah. there um but I, it's the little things like i love how he will shift from being like joy to like insane predator within the same like sentence just little bits of that performance the drool the way he drools while he speaks i think is kind of creepy so those little aspects of it i think really work for the film i do wish the set pieces themselves featuring pennywise were scarier but it still works for me like this is a great uh, to me it's an effective adaptation because it changes so many things
2: I think I'm right in between both of you in terms of your you know, I, I didn't love the movie. I thought it was pretty good. I agree with a lot of Jeff's criticisms on it. I think the rules regarding Pennywise were really poorly defined. And evidently the book explains a lot of things that were left out of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh you know answers a lot of questions that I think would have been helpful. Uh particularly like the stuff with the bully and like you know its relationship to the bully that I felt like was really kind of half baked in this movie, um, but the movie also has a lot of really great things like the ch- the child performances are awesome. the casting is great. I think this movie is going to mint some stars, you know like I think mm-hmm. we are going to mm-hmm. see these child actors uh, be very successful in Hollywood for many years to come, and that 's no accident I think it 's because they do a great job in this movie. Um, but yeah, uh, and I also really like. The, I'm very taken with the design of of Pennywise. I so think good. I think my biggest disappointments with the movie are, uh, like I said, the rules are are, are pretty poorly defined, and also, um, I've, it, at times, the movie feels like a series of set pieces versus. Yeah, yeah. I I don't remember too much about the It miniseries, but I felt like it was more like you got to really luxuriate in these relationships between the kids. You know, I felt like it's – it it felt more like, oh, we're going – we're kind of following these kids as they go through life versus just – here's a scary set piece, here's a scary set piece, here's a scary set piece. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, each kid has th- this thing that they're scared of. We need to introduce, like, you know, thing that kid number one is scared of. Now, thing that kid number two is scared of. And, thing that you know, it it, it felt very rushed, which I, I yeah, was surprised yeah, yeah. by, given that the movie, you know, like I said, has a longer – when you put the two movies together, this one and its sequel, will have a longer runtime than the miniseries. A big part of that is the decision to uh, include all the kids. I mean, how many of them are there? Like six or seven? you know like you could have easily cut you could have easily cut that down to like 3 or 4 and mm-hmm. i think it would have been a better film for it um you could have spent more time with them gotten to know them better uh invested in them more uh and as is each kid basically gets one characteristic one thing they're scared of and you know then we're off to the races with all these set pieces and so it felt very rushed to me but there was still a lot to recommend this movie and i understand why it's a crowd pleaser like I got we we got there uh, an hour and a half early to wait for seats. Like we'd already had tickets, and th- I have never seen a line that long just to get <laughs> into the theater for seats. It is um, a great
1: crowd experience for sure.
2: Yeah, I mean, Jeff, what did you think of uh, of your crowd
0: expe- uh, experience with it? Well, I had two empty seats next to me. Yes, for most of the movie. So uh, you were just laying down. I was just lounging, man, just loving it. Um, no, I mean. I I never – I'm a person that that loves uh, a good – a scary movie. I mean I, I have talked about – you guys might make fun of me, but I've talked about how much I have enjoyed, for example, the Paranormal Activity films oh, and yeah. how drawn in to them I am and how genuinely scary they are. And those never use – you know, shouting at you or loud roars. I mean, there's a a thump or a. There's bang. a lot of
1: loud noise in those movies, Jeff. But it's
0: like. not like loud noises. It's it's like a, a disquieting noise. It's yeah. a very there.
1: There's a lot of tension building in those movies that I right. don't think is here. But also, it's a different type of horror movie. I'd say it's well, hard to compare true. them.
0: Yeah, that's true. But I I just never felt uh, I never felt a build up of tension and, and, and therefore never felt a release. There was a lot of Mm -hmm. shocking stuff. There was a lot of, uh, you know, intense imagery, but it never, I was never scared. And I, I didn't think my audience was either. There didn't, there weren't gasps, there weren't screams, there weren't that, uh, nervous laughter to release Mm -hmm. tension that you often hear in, in movie theaters. I think, like I said, I think the movie's fine. And I think it, it lives on the strength of its young actors and the fact that they're all really compelling and charming to watch and hang out with. But I think ultimately, as a scary movie or as a thrilling adventure, it it, it it's pretty flat yeah. for me.
1: I, I think a big problem with this movie is that they definitely alert you when a set piece is starting. Right, right. there, there is no real build up to it. It's like, oh, well, creepy things happening to the kid. You know, Pennywise is involved. Like the audience always feels like it's one step ahead of the kids. Um, And like, yeah, so that tension isn't quite there, except for that one, that garage sequence is so good. Uh, But because it's so fast and it's not drawn out. Um, But there are sequences where like, you know, Beverly just interacting with her father, like made my skin crawl. And that's the sort of like, that's where I was getting tension. And that's where I was starting to fear, like what was going to happen to this girl? Um, And just a simple thing, like an interaction with a pharmacist. Never trust the pharmacist, kids. They're creepy <laughs> as hell. So those sorts of things like really worked for me. But yeah, that's that's more of the casual real life horror that the movie presents. I do wish the set pieces like maybe they spent a little more time constructing ways to make them genuinely scary. Although when it goes for it, it really goes for it. Like that, you know, it recreates the Georgie scene from the miniseries, but it
2: really goes for it. You know, we, yeah. we see
1: him arm bitten off like it is it is grotesque. yeah I kind of want to talk
2: I kind of want to talk to you, yeah. you guys about that in the spoilers um, yeah but yeah. Uh, but suffice to say I think like overall we enjoyed this movie and uh, love the casting, love the performances. Jeff wasn't as crazy about it as Devendra. And I, I liked it well enough. Um, uh, you, you know, one question before we move to spoilers. Are you looking forward to the
0: next one? You know, Devendra, oh, I know, I know yes. your answer. I'm um, totally
1: dream casting this movie or the next movie for sure. How about I you, Jeff, really, Kanata?
0: I really hope they have the balls to actually cast Molly Ringwald. I think that'd so <laughs> that would be so rad. That Wouldn't nice. that be great? I think anyway. Jessica Chastain probably is more
2: Jessica likely for Chastain. that character. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really psyched for the next one as well. But, Jeff, are you excited?
0: What are you? Uh, reactions? I, I suppose. It'll be interesting to see. I'm, I'm interested to see how they do it. Yeah, and, it's just um, going to be
2: interesting as, like, a, a, a film like experiment, you know? like Yeah. We, we were, they, they told the story one way, and now they're telling the story a different way. I think it'll be interesting to see. So
1: I do love, yeah, there's stuff to, I guess, mention spoilers. But a, a couple of things before we get there. This movie is beautiful. Just, just want to point that out like this movie looks not just beautiful for a horror movie but beautiful as a film in general like i love the way it's shot um i know carrie fukunaga got a screenplay credit on this too but i i do wonder he was originally like, gonna direct this been. yeah yes yeah he was gonna direct the two-parter i believe and i oh, man i i wish we had gotten that like as much as i love this one like that the idea that that film could have happened and we never got it uh is kind of sad but andy machete like we I, we, we didn't review mama but we've definitely talked about it and i really like that film too his his uh, last one so i'm glad he got a
2: chance to do this you yeah. uh, know all right let's move on to spoilers for it starting right now
0: now you're looking for the secret can to see this coming no but you won't find
2: it because of course you're not going to see this coming you're not really looking i have been puzzling over how it
0: works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled.
2: So let's talk about that opening scene. I'm I'm really torn about it, guys. Uh, I kind of want to hear what you, you you think about it because uh, it it really violates the um, the whatever uh, unspoken rule in horror movies that you slowly reveal the you know the full extent of the creature or whatever. Uh, and mm-hmm. he said, nope, the guy is like his mouth opens up and he bites the dude's arm off and he's crawling yeah. away. And and I, I guess it sets a level of danger for the kids that I don't yes. feel like the rest yeah. of the film lives up to. Like no, none of the other kids die in this movie. Other, I mean, you know, side characters die, like the bully character mm-hmm. dies. But none of the main kids that we're invested in die. And um, a few of them get injured, like an arm break, and one kid gets his belly slashed and stuff. But I guess I just feel like if you're going to open that way with a kid getting his arm ripped off and then devoured, um, there, there needs to be like a purpose to that other than just – I don't know. I, I feel like it's it's shocking. It's like a mm-hmm. shocking image. But it sets a tone for the movie that I don't think the rest of the movie lives up to. What do you guys think?
1: I, I mean I never – I didn't quite feel – it definitely set the tone of like how intense this movie is going to be. They probably could have kept – him hidden like you don't need to see the teeth just like so the kid gets pulled in and he emerges with no arm and he's just crawling on the street like that and it is inherently terrifying um but i still felt like the kids were in danger like uh, we didn't quite know what it would do uh, throughout the rest of the film also because so many of these set pieces are just feel like so unique to the film as well so yeah, I don't quite have that conflict. Um, I do want to talk about the rules too that you guys keep bringing up, but uh, finish up talk of the opening first.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean th- that's it. You know, Jeff Kanata, any thoughts on that opening scene? Like, do you feel like, oh wow, that was shocking and scary, or
0: no? I thought I thought the uh, the dialogue moment was was the strongest uh, moment for Pennywise in the whole film. Uh, yeah. I thought that back and forth is inherently creepy and no, you don't need to see jaws opening and and rip off the arm. It's notable to mention, I think that in the book, if I remember correctly, uh, there's no question about whether Georgie was murdered. Like they mm-hmm. find his dead body and, right. um, we know that he's been murdered. So there's no, that was manufactured for this, this interpretation where there's like this ongoing question of where Georgie might be and all that stuff. So that,
2: Right, which which actually uh, kind of added this weird feeling I got when he executes like Georgie at the end of the movie. And yeah. for a second I thought, is that could that actually have been Georgie?
0: Like, did you did, right.
2: did you have that thought? I, I, I don't know if that was a feeling I was supposed to have,
0: you know? Yeah, um, it's a very disturbing yeah. thing to, yeah. to to that he's so certain that, because you don't there's no context for that up to that moment at all. There's no right. You know, there's no other time when he's, inter- you know, taken the form of familiar things. Or well, he
1: did take the form of Georgie before and used him as like a puppet.
0: So we but, saw that.
2: But I, I well, guess, um, I guess, like I, the the thing is, you don't know if that's actually Georgie or yeah, like, yeah. is it is it actually Georgie or is it Pennywise like disguised as Georgie? Like that that is part of the tension. But like, they, yeah. Yeah,
1: there's that little reference there. The yeah. little reference about uh, you we call boats she.
2: Right. And um, that was it, yeah. Yeah, 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 fair enough. Uh, any, Anyway, Davindra, you were talking about – you wanted to mention the rules. The
1: rules thing – I mean – so I know you guys like rules. You guys are all about the rules.
2: <laughs>
1: These movies got to have rule mechanics. And I think there is a certain – there's a certain wisdom to taking away some of those rules. And just like Pennywise as he exists in this movie – is just like this force of evil that appears to have been with this town and was responsible for some things. And he knows what the kids fear and that's pretty much it. That's what we get to. And then when, you know, the kids have to fight him. I, yeah, maybe it would have been nice to know like, Oh, you got to do this one thing to defeat him or something other than like, just go beat the hell out of him. Um, but I think the lack of clear defined rules work because he is, he is just like a pure force of evil. And tying him into things that have been done in the town. Like, all that worked. I don't think he needed to complicate things too much. Because well, we understood what he I, is.
2: I think yeah. you're right, Davindra, but I think, like, the, the Like, what ambiguity- rules are we missing? Well, the ambiguity—again, I think the ambiguity is uh, under what circumstances does Pennywise want to kill them versus just scaring them? Because yes. I feel like in every one of those scenarios, he could have killed all those kids.
0: Like- yes. Sure. sure. And so he it's like- does. he does rip off Georgie's arm, and he's— fully capable of ripping off anybody's arm at any given time and
2: And he just d- doesn't he he's content he doesn't. to just kind of like freak them out and it's like okay right. maybe there's a good explanation for that but the movie doesn't give it you know Exactly Yeah um so that's that's really the the main beef is that like even in that garage scene oh um we open the garage door and everything's fine like is, is it because of the light is it because they're not scared anymore with the light going in the gar- like what's you know it just feels like the the rules of like what what are what are Pennywise's yeah. rules of engagement are not clearly defined.
1: Darkness but is, is scary. Of? Yeah, darkness is inherently scary. Those kids are there in a projector. You open up the light and like you know you're less scared when you're in the middle of sunlight. Uh, for that particular team, it works. But I could I could see what you guys are saying.
2: Um, I, I think I, you, you I know you brought up a good point, Devendra mm-hmm. when you tweeted about. The movie about how like the bullies are actually more frightening than Pennywise yes. in a lot of ways. They're like they're the bully, professed. like the bully We're freaking sure. carves a freaking letter in the kid's belly. You know, like that's uh-huh. that's yeah. that's some even disturbing, his friends are like, dude, chill. That's like some yeah. disturbing shit. But uh, yeah. I guess for me, that's. That that is both a strength and a weakness of the movie. You know, the 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 bullies are really scary, but I feel like Pennywise should be scarier. I mean, I feel like that's kind of part of the point of the movie is that this is like ultimate evil and a very frightening force. And I don't feel like he was. So,
1: well, what's scarier, like a you know cosmic ultimate evil clown or like the childhood bully who's always there at the end of school to beat you up, <laughs> and you know this kid like as a kid, what is scarier? I had that bully. I had that guy. I would like effectively like just avoid. Like I would go out of school one way, so I would avoid being picked on by these kids. And I think, given that this movie is from the kids' perspective, I think it's. I don't know. I found that really effective. How I was more scared of the movie. If that
0: had been the point. If that Mm -hmm. had been. Kind of what the movie is is saying is that you know this this the thing they have to deal with every day is more, is scarier than the thing every twenty seven years. That would have been interesting.
2: Yeah, it, it just I, doesn't
0: really make a make a distinction either way. It just. Creates these things, and there's not really a connection to them, but there kind of is because he kind of walks like a zombie when he murders his own dad. Mm-hmm. So you kind of think that Pennywise is taking over his body, but we've never seen Pennywise possess anybody before. So is that what's really going on? Mm-hmm. It's just the the movie is very muddy on all those points, and it never comes down clearly onto what this creature is capable of versus what it isn't, what it wants, what it doesn't want. And all of that stuff is much clearer as I recollect from from right. the book. Of and course, just,
1: it's, yeah. It's yeah. definitely gonna be clear in the book. That is a long ass book. Um <laughs> I, I think just in terms of how this movie is trying to convey it, with uh, you know, a short yeah, it's a long movie for a horror movie, but it still feels like they have to pack it in, it still feels like they have to rush, like you mentioned, Dave. Um I guess like it would have been nice if they more clearly defined things, but
0: it. Like but just I don't like, for example, to do that. Yeah. for example, you know, Nightmare on streak, right? W- what's the one thing we know? Don't fall asleep. right? Like, that's where he can do anything. So don't fall asleep. And so we have this m- wonderful tension of these kids trying to stay up, and uh, they get tired. And as soon as you get tired, it's like, oh no, something bad's gonna happen. I don't know at what point we're seeing the real world or the dream world, and oh shit. So you have this wonderful tension because the rule, adds to what we know about the potential of what can happen. Mm-hmm. And when there's no rule like that, when Pennywise can maybe be there or maybe not, or we don't have any context for what the hell's going on with this guy. Mm-hmm. You just sort of subvert your own potential. You subvert I, your own potential, you know?
1: I, th- I think there are definitely things
2: that are there. Like Did you the say potential,
0: Jeff? Potential. <laughs> I said you, you potential just... and then tension. Oh, I see. <laughs> but you uh, can go with that's potential a new, that's you, a you just new
2: coined word. potential, Jeff yeah anyway the
0: potential for tension yes that's right Mm, that's right
1: that's quite good i I think the movie does convey something so like without explicitly saying it like uh the way you know it's once again just like in the book and the miniseries like only kids can see pennywise only kids can see the results of what he's doing i thought that was pretty well done like that bathroom scene and when her father comes in it's like this this bathroom is wrecked and he's like what I don't see anything. I thought that was quite effective and the kids all have to clean it up. So uh, I, I think it is saying things more visually than maybe the novel did for sure. Um, and the miniseries. And I think it does other things too. Like it evokes the sense that, you know, it is more of a cosmic terror. When you see the kids actually floating around like that, uh, I think that imagery worked for me. The, when, when they're battling him and you see like, there's something maybe a bit deeper to who he is. Um, he, I forget what it looked like specifically, but I think when you're looking down his mouth, uh, you see something there. I thought the imagery of this film worked quite well, even if they didn't explicitly like spell out those rules.
2: All right, Dundra. Well, uh, I I don't begrudge your opinion on this movie as usual. You know, it, it's clearly a movie that Jeff and I had some some problems with. I mean, I didn't. I don't even know how I feel about that scene at the end, where, where like you'll float 2 is taken extremely literally. You know, I don't know if that's a that's a good thing or not. <laughs> Um, yeah. But uh, but I'm glad you enjoyed it And certainly many people all around the country Are, are really getting a kick out of it So uh, that's our review of It Thanks for listening Stay tuned to hear what we'll be reviewing next week Find more episodes of this podcast at guest.com. Email us at slashfilmcast.gmail.com at Our theme song comes from adamwarrock.com Our spoiler bumper comes from uh, Filmmaker Kyle Hillinger uh, In the meantime, Jeff Kanata, where can find more of your work On the internet this week?
0: Well, you can always follow me on Twitter At Jeff Kanata and I have several other shows, including two video game shows. I have a weekly video game show uh, called DLC, which you can find at 5 5tv slash DLC. Big week this week talking about Destiny 2. Uh, and I have a daily video game show called Newest, Latest, Best that you can find on iTunes and Google Play Music as well. Uh, or you can go to anchor.fm NLB. And I also do a comedy science show called We Have Concerns that you can find at wehaveconcerns.com.
2: How about you, Davindra?
1: Oh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Davindra. I write about techengadget.com. Check out all of our iPhone coverage this week. Uh, also, wanted to quickly mention something about the ending. I really like the blood pack scene uh, in this, especially compared to the way it ended in the book. And I think this was a much better way of conveying that idea of bonding these kids together rather than the child orgy. What were you doing, <laughs> Stephen King? Yeah. Like, What were you thinking? Um. So yeah, he was
0: also uh, in him. his defense. He was doing a lot of cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> it was the eighties, right? So was everything. And it was Stephen King in yeah. the eighties who did a lot of cocaine.
2: <laughs> Find all my stuff at DaveChen.net. Follow me on Twitter at Davechensky And guys, I want to share that uh, after being rejected by many film festivals, Doctor B was selected to play at both the South Dakota Film Festival and the Bend Film Festival in Oregon. Congrats, uh, dude. That's very, great. I'm nice. very excited about that. I'm very excited. Um, so, you should be. That's fantastic. Yeah. So really appreciate – I'll tell you, like, um, you know, after getting, all the, uh, after getting all the rejections, it is nice to hear, you know, that someone uh, – people from respected film festivals say, hey, you might have some inkling of knowing what you're doing in this regard. So anyway – uh,
0: I don't think that's mm-hmm. what they're saying. It's not a referendum on you knowing what you're doing.
2: <laughs> I know, I know. I'm being, I'm being facetious, but I appreciate you saying that, Jeff. Anyway, uh, next week we're going to review the new Darren Aronofsky movie, Mother, and I have a feeling this one is going to be divisive, guys. So
0: oh, yeah, <laughs> you know you that can, that, that movie hasn't has an exclamation point at the end of its title, right? Oh, yeah, you're right chef, so. Mother, like you, didn't, like you ignored it completely when Mother. <laughs> Okay.
1: <laughs> uh, that's, that's not how you use exclamation marks, Dave. Come on. <laughs> Mother!
2: All right, guys. Have a good week. Thanks for listening to the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. We're out.
0: We watch the movies play.